This is Power and Consequence. Welcome back to Power and Consequence, a podcast about liars, grifters, demagogues, and opportunists who enrich themselves through disinformation, while the rest of us are left pondering why TikTok is a thing. Uh, let's introduce the team t- for today. I am Matt, as always, and as always with me is Jelani. What's up, Jay? Hey, hey, how's it going? Quite well. Jay, why is TikTok? Uh, so I am not the demographic for TikTok, so I'm, <laughs> I'm probably the last person to ask. But I do, you know, I say this all the time. It's not for me, but I get it. Um, I don't know if you remember Vine back in the day. I, like I was idea. aware of it. Yeah. So it, it's an interesting, like, creative concept. Like, basically, uh, TikTok, I don't think it's the same time limit, but with Vine, you had, you know, 10 or 15 seconds and you had to like tell a story in this 10 or 15 seconds. And I think TikTok kind of just took that and made it something a little bigger. Um, in that, uh, I don't think they have the short time limits, but people still try to use it in the same way creatively where they tell short stories um, using video and text and words. Um, and I, the big thing about TikTok is the way its social algorithm works, it's actually the opposite of most other social media services in that they don't show you people in your bubble. They show you people outside of your bubble. So they always try to get you to look at new content that you're not familiar with rather than keeping you looking at stuff that they already know you like. So it's kind of like reverse in that way. Okay, well, that's interesting because, I mean, and this is really... My first question, and if this were that type of podcast, I'd like to delve into that, is are you saying that it's not the same as YouTube's Nazi machine algorithm? Where it's like, hey, if you, if you like Tim Pool, you're gonna, you are going to fucking love Richard Spencer. You know what I exactly. mean? Exactly. It doesn't try to keep throwing you down the rabbit hole. It tries to keep you on the edge of the rabbit hole. Interesting. And I'm looking forward to the way that will inevitably backfire. You know, it, it makes me think of, I, I forget... I forget exactly what this is, um, and I shouldn't reference it if I don't know, but there was like some team or some company released like a, a, not a version of AI, but like an interactive algorithm sort of program that could be taught the world and then like mimic the world through like tweets and social media. And I think it took like 24 hours to turn it into a Nazi. That was Microsoft. Thank you. Yes. (laughs) Yes. Okay. And yes, it took 24 hours before it became a racist asshole (laughs) which just goes to show yeah (laughs) well well i mean speaking of racist assholes you know that's that's most of what this show is all about um or at least people who one could infer are probably assholes and quite possibly racist at least in the personal (laughs) moral sense i mean in the systemic sense i mean suppose you know there's a subset that just is whether they like it or not and i know i'm gonna get some hate mail for that one but let's uh before we get into that and all the hate mail uh if just a reminder if y'all like the show please follow us on twitter at consequence pod and you can follow me on twitter at stop talking matt please leave us a nice review wherever you get your podcast and maybe share a link to this episode with someone who you think might get something out of it or even wants to hate me personally i'm good with that if it drives traffic um 
let's see. So with that, let's just get right into it. Um, so today we are going to look at a recent speech, uh, and by recent I mean uh, early November, given by a certain GOP political candidate who's running for the U.S. Senate in the state of Ohio. And I am, of course, talking about everyone's favorite um, Ivy League hillbilly, J.D. Vance. Jay, what do you know about J.D. Vance? Uh, not much, actually. Um, this is probably my favorite thing about this podcast is that I hear about people anecdotally and then you help us go on a deep dive and I can <laughs> offer commentary. <laughs> I, I, I have strange hobbies, I admit. Um, so JD Vance, um, he was born August 2nd, 1984 and from Middletown, Ohio, though he attributes much of his childhood development to time spent with his extended family in Jackson, Kentucky. That's a big bulk of like the uh, sort of the subject matter of a book that he later wrote. Uh, he served in the Marine Corps, got his B.A. from Ohio State and got his J.D. from Yale Law School. Uh, worked briefly in corporate law before going to work for uh, none other than Peter Thiel, I believe at Mithril Capital, uh, before moving on to bigger things, obviously. He's got his own company now that he's taking a leave of absence from. So now that he's a political candidate, I think it's called N-A-R-Y-A, Naria, something like that. Um, and he also wrote a book, uh, Hillbilly Elegy, a memoir of a family and a culture in crisis. He's running to fill a Senate seat in Ohio, which has been held by Republican Rob Portman. Rob Portman is a relative moderate in the GOP, if there still is such a thing. Uh, Portman decided he's not going to run again. And Vance is stepped into like the clusterfuck of a Republican primary looking to fill his seat. Vance is not the front runner, by the way, in this GOP pack, right? But I want to focus on Vance first because he's part of that new class of political candidate, that celebrity outsider populist. Basically, he's an off-brand Trump or he's trying to convince people that he's very MAGA, right? And I, I remains to be seen if anyone's going to buy it. So Vance's credibility stems from his attainment of the, quote, American dream, all right? So Vance was supposedly poor, then he worked hard, then he was not poor. The end. Okay. Now, for what it's worth, that chron that chronology is basically true. All right. A big part of Vance's book is his critique of culture in Appalachia. This has actually stirred up a bit of resentment from others from the region, which is a big ass region, I might add, who say that, you know, Vance doesn't speak for everyone. You know, it's been a big subject of debate as to how Representative Vance's personal experiences are, right? We can leave that for another day, but suffice to say, a big part of Vance's book was the culture of Appalachia, such as it is, it would, it kind of, enables people to not work hard. So his thing is not like, you know, talking about how the system in general, you know, uh, of capital crushes labor under its boot. It's if people in Appalachia, white people specifically, because he's writing what he knows, um, would just work harder like him, then they could do the things that he did. So it's a, he's a bootstraps guy. Okay. He's like, he's like Larry Elder's white analog, I guess is what <laughs> I'm getting. It's kind of what I'm getting at. That, that, that's him. You know, he's a conservative. Um, and in 2016, 2017, he wasn't near, he wasn't even close to the, you know, to the propagandist that he is today, which is kind of what we're getting into. 
And I kind of want everyone to keep in mind Vance's shift to the right as the years have gone on. Okay, so Vance was always a conservative, but the announcement of his campaign in July of this year, right, it it was met with some skepticism for obvious reasons. And it began with uh, (laughs) an apology to the MAGA world. Um, One, can you confirm for us that those were, in fact, your tweets and that you did, in fact, delete them? And if so, what's changed? Sure. Well, like like a lot of... Uh, people, I, I criticized Trump back in 2016, and I'd ask folks not to judge me by based on what I, I said in 2016, because I've been very open about the fact that I, I did say those critical things, and uh, I regret them, and I regret being wrong about the guy. I think that he was a good president. I think he made a lot of good decisions for people, and I think he took a lot of flack. And as you probably appreciate, Alicia, you know, I've, I've taken a lot of flack myself over the last few years for standing up for the president's voters, but also standing up for the agenda. And I think that's the most important thing is, is not what you said five years ago, but whether you're willing to take, stand up and take, take the heat and take the hits for actually defending the interests of the American people, because that's what, what this business of politics should be all about. I happen to disagree, but yeah, just for a little context, in 2016, Vance tweeted his disapproval of Trump, and he explicitly stated that he would be voting for a different candidate, right? And he didn't address the fact that uh, he deleted those tweets until CNN brought it up uh, the week that his candidacy was announced. Uh, you know, and and to be fair, Vance was was hardly alone. We all remember the image of Ted Cruz phone banking for Donald Trump in 2016 after Trump secured the nomination. You know, a conventional wisdom back then seemed to be, you know, there's no way that Trump could actually win. Turns out we were very fucking wrong about that. So... Yeah, so, uh, Jay, you notice how, how Vance kind of hits the ground running there with that populist rhetoric, talking about how he has suffered personally? Sorry, I lost my mute button there. <laughs> no, no worries, no worries. Um, now my joke is going to be stale. I was going to say he hit the ground <laughs> grifting. Oh. <laughs> because still, still lands. I like it. Yeah. Uh, yeah, it's just very obvious that, you know, he's coming out making excuses to be like, oh, you know, that was then. Like, this is... This is what I'm trying to say now. Yeah, yeah. And it's indicative. That here, here, And let me just say this off top. Vance, from everything I can tell and from the amount of book, his book that I read, Vance is a smart guy. He's no buffoon. He knows I, He knows exactly what it would take to secure a, uh, a Republican nomination in today's political climate. You know, um, I'm reserving judgment on whether I think he's, an, you know, ideologically, you know, means what he says or if he's just a grifter. But it is definitely a big portion of, of his words have to do with the grift. But what was interesting about what he was saying there was he was talking about, you know, like uh, politics being um, being about fighting for people and stuff like that. Because Vance wants people to see him as a sympathetic hero, right? He suffers the injuries wrought upon him in the name of defending the people, right? And defending the American people is what politics, according to him, should be all about. Right. And I thought it was about the theoretical equitable distribution of goods and services based on the needs of society and respect for every person's inalienable rights. But no, according to Vance, apparently it's supposed to be about rhetorically defending people from a hypothetical enemy. And do you want to guess, Jay, who that hypothetical enemy is? Uh, I was trying to think of a joke. And once again, (laughs) (laughs) uh, I need I need a couple more sips of my um, booster today. No worries, no worries, no worries. <laughs> we got we got plenty to get through. You got time. Trust me, trust me. Just chime in whenever you want. So 
you know, before Vance signs off on that Fox News interview we were just listening to, right, he states that his primary opponents are going to use the deleted tweets against him, but that probably won't matter once people really get to know the real, you know, J.D. Vance. And then we can all focus on the big problem. I think my advantage in this race is that we're talking and I'm talking about real issues. That's the most important thing. And I think once people get a sense of who I am, of what I care about, of where I come from and where I see the country and its opportunities, then then I don't worry that what I said about President Trump or anything else five years ago is going to be the defining issue of the campaign. I think the defining issue of this campaign is going to be how do we stop the elites from plundering the greatest country of the world? How do we get our ruling class to start reinvesting and rebuilding this country? Ruling class. So that worries me. I don't like that. As people have been saying lately, they, people have been more and more bold just saying the quiet part out loud and mm-hmm, mm-hmm. just running with it. Yup. So that that bothered me. Um, I did a little Googling to see if that, you know, if that phrase came up in in Vance's other, you know, public comments. So here's Vance on Tucker Carlson on July 30th, defending comments he'd made a few days earlier, okay? And, you know, that comment, ruling class, it comes up again. So this clip kind of speaks for itself, but I just, you know, spoiler alert, Vance is going to engage in misogyny, homophobia, and some hints of Alex Jones-style conspiracies. Look, what I was basically saying is that we're effectively run in this country via the Democrats, via, via our corporate oligarchs, by a bunch of childless cat ladies who are miserable at their own lives and the choices that they've made. And so they want to make the rest of the country miserable, too. And it's just a basic fact. You look at Kamala Harris, Pete Buttigieg, AOC, the entire future of the Democrats is controlled by people without children. And how does it make any sense that we've turned our country over to people who don't really have a direct stake in it? I just wanted to ask that question and propose that maybe if we want a healthy ruling class in this country, we should invest more, we should vote more, we should should support more people who actually have kids because those are the people who ultimately have a more direct stake in the future of this country yeah there's a lot in that 45 seconds but that to me that's deeply disturbing as a policy position you know what he's saying is that we should value sort of the political input and, and, and place upon, you know, uh, place in positions of power people who have children because they have more of a stake in the future right thus devaluing anyone who doesn't which uh, is an interesting thing to take and then you know you also consider you know he's coming dangerously close to some alex jones talking points uh for anyone who follows that guy right one of jones's um more recent obsessions is characterizing democrats as demons probably literally demons uh who want to depopulate the earth and hate and they hate quote unquote patriots, which is, you know, you can read that as white people for having children. <laughs> yeah. For having children, you know, and he offers, he offers his proof of his assertion that none of these globalist, uh, elitists, uh, elites, as he calls them have children, which is laughably false, by the way. I mean, George Soros, who's the biggest boogeyman does have, uh, <laughs> at least one son who Alex Jones vilifies like every other week. So that's dumb. Kamala Harris has two stepchildren. Uh, Pete Buttigieg, he brings him up at the time because Pete Buttigieg and his partner had not yet adopted a child, you know, and that's an obvious stick at him for, you know, for being a gay man. And as for AOC, I, 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 I don't know. They just, they love thinking that they're dunking on her. I don't understand what that is. So, uh, I think you brought it up before. There's, it's that whole misogyny, like just 
someone who's a person of color and a woman who's actually smart and actually pulled himself up by the bootstraps. <laughs> <laughs> they just, they, they can't deal with it. No, no. And, you know, and that's the whole thing. I mean, there's a lot that goes into that statement. You know, it's like you by saying you want to value people who have children because, you know, supposedly because they have a, a stake in the future, right? I mean, what you're really getting at is like, okay, so what if you happen to be a person who biologically can't have children? You know, what if your children, you had children and they are deceased? You know, any number of things. Why why, why are you go, why are you taking it there? You know, and my best guess is that sort of very obviously kind of like resonates with the conservative talking points surrounding the quote traditional family values, which really is to say white Christian nuclear heteronormative families. You know, so it's been it's been the same since the 80s. I mean, we covered that briefly talking about Jerry Falwell and the moral majority. But yeah, so so that's that's Vance. That's Vance. His his deal is he's trying to convert himself into a relative moderate of 2016-2017 into sort of a MAGA candidate now. So let's fast forward now to uh, November 2nd of this year. Uh, Vance, now he is in full MAGA mode at this point, okay? And he's trying to outflank um, the primary leader, uh, Josh Mandel from the right, which is actually really hard if you know anything about Mandel. <laughs> He's currently trailing Mandel in the uh, in the primary by a wide margin. I think the last polling data I saw, saw was like Mandel's got 34% and um, Vance has got 16. Though admittedly, it's a very crowded field, so that, that could go either way. So Vance gave a speech, all right, uh, railing against academic liberal elites that dominate American universities, that old talking point, right? Um, and in his opening remarks, he sets the tone, right? So in case you think I'm reading into this, something that isn't there. So th this is opening remarks. So much of what we want to accomplish, so much of what we want to do in this movement and in, in this country, I think are fundamentally dependent on going through a set of very hostile institutions, specifically the universities, which control the knowledge in our society, which control what we call truth and what we call falsity that provides research that gives credibility to some of the most ridiculous ideas that exist in our country. And so I'm, I'm excited to close this conference with this particular set of remarks because I think if any of us want to do the things that we want to do for our country and for the people who live in it, we have to honestly and aggressively attack the universities in this country. Aggressively attack the universities. Note the use of we. Okay, and admittedly, Jay, I'm at an advantage here because I know what this thing, what this event is he's speaking at, and you don't. Okay, but I'm willing to bet you could probably take a guess at the the the, the socioeconomic makeup of this crowd. You know? Oh yeah, like it. It sounds like he's pandering <laughs> to people who who look like him. No. <laughs> no. Whatever do you mean? <laughs> yeah yeah uh, and 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 you're you're i gotta say you're probably right on here um you know and the the implication of his use of we as far as i can tell it, it being that there is obviously a they 
and they are in charge of controlling, you know, a narrative and passing it off as truth. The implication of that being it's not true, therefore a lie. Also note the use of our country. He's saying that we need to aggressively attack universities if we want to do something, you know, in our country. You know, it's just like loaded, loaded with with, with that type of fucking xenophobic language. All right. So, for context, now I will quickly explain to whom Vance is speaking, all right? He's at a conference put on by the Edmund Burke Foundation, all right? Uh, um, for those of you who don't know, people like to misattribute the that, that quote, you know, the only thing necessary for evil men to triumph is for good men to do nothing. Edmund Burke didn't actually say that, but that's, that's the spirit that they like to engage in, the Edmund Burke Foundation. Um, it was founded in 2019, and one project of the Edmund Burke Foundation is referred to as national conservatism. National conservatism. Not just conservatism now, okay? <laughs> and that seems, that sounds a little close to another thing. As I was about to say, I think one word is missing the fun of that there. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Maybe they switched. I mean that that I mean that invoked some thoughts in me. I don't know about anybody listening, but uh, anytime the word nationalism put in front of a a political stance, uh, the hairs on the back of my neck go up. So this is from the project website of nationalconservatism.org. Uh, this is from their about me page. It's a little long, but I'm going to read it all because I, I we need context, and I don't want them to think that I'm denying it. Quote. Politics in America, Britain, and other Western nations have taken a sharp turn toward nationalism, a commitment to a world of independent nations. This has been disorienting to many, not least the American conservative movement, which has, since the fall of Berlin Wall, of the Berlin Wall in 1989, grown increasingly attached to a vision of a global rules-based liberal order that would bring peace and prosperity to the entire world while attenuating the independence of nations. So they're saying that like this is going count. What they're doing is going counter uh, to a, a global cooperation scheme, which, by the way, is probably a good fucking idea. There's a reason we did that. Um, I, going I was going to bring that up once you finish. I, like, yeah, no, no, what, go, go, go. There's, there's more what, here. Go. Yeah. What's this has always been my thing? Like, what's really so bad about globalism? Like, <laughs> as, as someone said. Not too long ago, like, can't we all just get along? Why? What's wrong with coming up with a system that works for everyone? Why do you have to be so hyper-focused on, on making it all about you and where you're from? Because technically we're all just ants <laughs> right. on this rock. Right. Mm-hmm. I mean, I'm not going to wax poetic about, you know, JFK, but I mean, we all breathe the same air, you know, and... and you could, you could talk about that literally now with climate change and, and pollution mm-hmm. and things like that, you know. Um, one of, I, I will tell you this, uh, one of the major sort of like arguments uh, that against the, the concept of like globalization, so to speak, there, there are many. It depends who you ask, right? There are good arguments against uh, globalized economics because, in th- with, you know, without uh, checks in place, because in theory, you could do what people are doing right now, which is fucking over the global south. You know, through global cooperation, companies like, say, Apple, 
you know, or, or, you know, name a fortune 500 company. They're, they're fucking people over, you know, it's like they used to, they used to screw over, um, workers in new England and then it moved to the South and then it moved to, uh, Mexico, then it moved to South America, then it moved to Southeast Asia. You know, uh, that is technically a form of economic global cooperation, you know, mm-hmm. That's a valid concern. But what a lot of the sort of right-wing blogosphere conspiracy theory types uh, talk about, it's rooted mostly in anti-Semitism. Mostly. See, globalist is a code for Jewish, depending on who you ask, right? And there's there's another dimension to that sometimes. It's the idea of this isolationist policy of nationalism. Like, you know, America first in its first iteration, as you know, Jay, comes from the idea that we shouldn't get involved in fighting Nazis. You know, that's that's where that comes from. Uh, I mean, we forget that there was an American Nazi party at one point. There was like uh, an American Union of Fascists. There was a British Union of Fascists. You know, these are are things that we like to conveniently forget about. But that's where like an isolationist um, American policy originates, at least in the 20th century. So they try to whitewash, pun intended, um, the origins of that philosophy to, to make it seem like it's more about like economics. And usually now the boogeyman, uh, well, in the Cold War now is, is communism. You know, that, that's really where it comes from. That's where these type of nationalist, jingoist, isolationist policies are, are, are coming from. The idea that, you know, um, foreign powers are plundering our wealth and, you know, we, we, we have to put a stop to that. So that said... You're right. That's a stupid um, way. It's pointless because it is a global economy. We do need cooperation. We send things to other countries. They make things out of them. They send them back to us. And even if it weren't just that, I mean, it, it, you know, our, our economy is dependent on international trade and we can't do everything by ourselves. If you want a micro uh, lesson, everyone listening in why nationalism is a bad idea, consider when the power failed in Texas, right? They, they, they're like, oh, we're going to have our own grid that is not dependent on the nation. That's fine until it doesn't work. <laughs> and guess um, what? And, and very similar to some of the supply chain issues we're having now, it, it really highlights our dependence on other countries in order to get the cheap things that we like. <laughs> uh-huh. Yep. Um, yep. So we could very much, uh, in fact, not completely... But there's a lot we could do in-house, um, and people don't realize that there's a lot we simply can't. There's materials that simply just aren't in this country. There's food that just doesn't grow uh, on this side of the world, and there's only one way to make that exchange, whether you like it or not. Mm-hmm. Yep, I- international cooperation, you know, Um and, and I, you know, it's, it's all a grift. The guys who really make money, they, you know, if we, if we had isolationist policies, they would make less money. Somehow they're making money bankrolling these, these groups that say they want that, but they don't really want that. I don't, and I don't want to go too deep into conspiracy land there, but. It's just a distraction so that policies can be made um, in their favor. It's really that plain and simple. <laughs> uh, and with that i'm gonna pour myself another uh westward whiskey delicious delicious whiskey made in america so there you go republicans you happy now <laughs> yeah it's it's bullshit so <laughs> oh what and segues right into the next paragraph of national uh conservatism's about page quote 
The return of nationalism has created a much-discussed crisis of conservatism that may be unprecedented since modern Anglo-American... You can read that as white. Uh, conservatism was formulated by Russell Kirk, William Buckley, and their colleagues in the 1950s. All of their colleagues were white, by the way. Um, at the heart of this crisis is a question. Is the new American and British nationalism a hostile usurper that has arrived on the scene to displace political conservatism? Or is nationalism an essential, if neglected, part of the Anglo-American, there's that term again, conservative tradition at its best? I'm just, I'm really surprised they use that term Anglo-American, because that's just straight up saying white people. Straight up, I mean, any, yeah. There's no talking around that. The dictionary definition of Anglo is a white, English-speaking American. (laughs) (laughs) Like, there's no... Yeah. And, yeah. And, and, and yeah, and I'm sure they would come up with some some talking point about, oh, well, we're actually referring to like the tradition of like, you know, the United States and Great Britain. And I'm like, OK, that's fine. But that I'm willing to bet that almost all of the great thinkers involved in creating that philo- uh, political philosophical tradition, I'm betting that almost all of them, with maybe a one or two exceptions, were white men, you know, but maybe that's just a coincidence. Who knows? Maybe, maybe. Yeah, yeah. But but it's that last question. It's that last question. You know, is nationalism an essential uh, part of the Anglo-American conservative tradition at its best? Now, I, I mean, I get the rhetoric. There's The obvious answer is yes, right? So here's the last uh, paragraph of their about page, right? Highlighted this one. Quote, <clears throat> national conservatism is a movement of public figures, journalists, scholars, and students who understand that the past and future of conservatism are inextricably tied to the idea of the nation, to the principle of national independence, and to the revival of the unique national traditions that alone have the power to bind a people together and bring about their flourishing. We envision a protracted effort to recover and reconsolidate the rich tradition of national conservative thought as an intellectually serious alternative to the excesses of purist libertarianism and in stark opposition to political theories grounded in race. Remember that part, okay? Our aim is to solidify and energize national conservatives, offering them a much-needed institutional base, substantial ideas in the areas of public policy, political theory, and economics, and an extensive support network across the country okay now i'm sorry but national conservatism sounds really close to the shit the nazis like to say and i don't think that i'm being crazy here okay uh you know it's the idea of like you know the idea of the nation of national independence uh unique national traditions uh binding a people together and bring about their flourishing that's that that's that <laughs> this is after using the word anglo like what three times <laughs> yeah yeah you know and and national conservatism you know i mean i get you can't use the word socialism ever so they're not gonna and obviously they don't want to be literal nazis so they're not gonna say national socialist but you know that that all that shit that whole description right like for example the uh, the idea that they they want to get away from political theories grounded in race i believe them i believe that because um you know you know that's less a rejection of racism and more an argument in favor of the status quo 
which already prioritizes whiteness. Any theorizing of the of the system would only serve to destabilize that system at this point in the game. So obviously you don't want any theories about race because I'm willing to bet most of the guys who are linked to this group are already in the winning class, which is to say people considered white. They just want to hold on. <sighs> Anyways. Yeah. So let's keep going. We're only a minute in uh, <laughs> to his 30 minute speech. I had to cherry pick this one. I, we would we would have, this would have been like a nine part episode. <laughs> it's just, I couldn't, I wish I could do everything, but I can't. Obviously I'll link the, the whole speech. Um, see for yourself. See if I'm lying. So we will keep going. Vance, you know, though, he keeps hitting all the MAGA hits at this national conservatism conference, right? Which was uh, hosted in, in Florida, by the way. Because of course it was. <laughs> my bad, my bad. So next up, we've got uh, sucking up to Trump and transphobia. You know, one of the things that consistently comes up in my campaign, because I was one of these people who didn't quite get Donald Trump in the beginning, I didn't sort of fully appreciate where he was coming from or what he was about, and, and now I very much do, is this concept of red pilling. And if you ever heard this term, it comes from the movie The Matrix, which, as I understand it, is made by a couple of people who do not share the politics of the people in this room. Haha, <laughs> it's so funny. It's so funny. Yeah. Um, yeah, he didn't get Donald Trump because he hadn't won yet. <laughs> <laughs> now he yeah. gets it. He's like, oh. <laughs> oh, oh, yeah, yeah, totally. That was totally me, you know? He's like, you know, you know that commercial where like the guy in the hot dog suit is trying to act like he didn't crash the hot dog mobile into the building. You ever seen that? I don't know that commercial, but it well, sounds <laughs> as hilarious as you describe. <laughs> He's like, yeah, it's like the, the like there was a car crashing into a building. The dust clears. It's a wiener mobile, and everybody's like, oh, who did it? And the guy, there's a guy in a wiener mobile suit being like, yeah, who did it? You know, I, I th like I, I feel like there's a version of this that like Vance is doing right now. You know, it's just like, oh, yeah, who 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 defied Trump? You know? Yeah. But uh, I, I mean, as for as for Vance's reference, right, he's obviously referring to Lily and Lana Wachowski, the uh, creators of the Matrix trilogy. Right. Um, and they also happen to be trans women. All right. So that's nice. You know, laughing about the overwhelmingly transphobic stance of conservatives in the name of traditional family values. You know, it's not like trans people are disproportionately targeted as victims of violent crimes or anything. You know, that that's not like he's joking about that. But Vance isn't done. All right. So you heard him talking about red pills, right? So now that he's mocked to uh, trans artists, uh, he misrepresents their work and tries to shoehorn it into an interpretation that somehow supports the point he's trying to make about universities. The basic idea is that once you see the way that knowledge is transmitted, once you see the way that public policy works in this country, it's very hard to unsee it. And so there's this scene in the movie The Matrix where the, 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 the chief protagonist is given an opportunity to take the blue pill or the red pill. And he takes the red pill. And the red pill effectively reveals to him the fundamental corruption that laid at the heart of the society that he lived in. And I'm going to come back to this analogy later on in my remarks. But I think it's important to understand that so much of what's going on in our country, uh, so much of what drives truth and knowledge as we understand it in this country, is fundamentally determined by, supported by, and reinforced by the universities in this country. 
That is the world that we live in. We live in a world that has been made effectively by university knowledge. And you've asked yourself, why have we consented to this? Why have we accepted a world in which the universities, which by the way are not exactly politically sympathetic with any of the people in this room, why have we done that? Why have they consented to this? So, I mean, Jay, have you seen I think I know where Matrix? you can find the answer to that question. <laughs> There's a certain website, <laughs> a certain news website we've uh-huh. talked about a few episodes ago. Yep. Yep. And it's not just one red pole, 78 of them. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. You know, he actually, I, I was uh, I was look, I was trolling through Red Pill 78's uh, um, Rumble channel. Uh, oh, by the way, uh, in case anyone's wondering, uh, Vance's company, uh, Norea or whatever, they actually invest in Rumble. So that's not at all conflict of interest, just as a by the way. <laughs> um, yeah. Yeah, it's it's yeah. Thank you for bringing that up, Jay. Uh, let's start with Vance's interpretation of the Matrix. I mean, Jay, you you've seen some of the movies, all the movies. Uh, I've seen uh, all of the movies, and I know this isn't a, a an ad, but I know the new one is coming out at the end of this it month. Is. So yes, I, uh, I, I'll have to rewatch them yeah. to refresh myself, and then it, so I've se- I've seen it. pictures of of John uh, of uh, of Neo. Um, I almost slipped there. He, in, in, the, in this version, um, uh, Agent Smith kills his dog. Um, so, <laughs> and, and he goes on a bloody revenge uh, quest across the Matrix to, to do that. So to avenge his, his, his pooch. Um, it, it, admittedly, I might react similarly if someone, you know, murdered my dog in front of me. I'm a dog person. If you're not a dog person, no, this wrong podcast. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah so all right so jay you've you've seen the matrix uh and, and let me ask you this are are you or i don't know how much of like the canon or 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 um commentary on the work itself you've you're familiar with um are, are you aware of commentary on you know the, the the allegorical meaning of the matrix like like what 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 the artists are trying to get across with the story uh, I at least think I am, but I know that everyone tries to twist it. <laughs> in, yes, yes, in, in some some way that benefits their cause, and and in reality, like like I say all the time with these people, he's very close. Like he starts off strong <laughs> about the <laughs> idea of you know people taking this pill and kind of awaking themselves to reality, and then. You know, going on a quest to take down the world that that they thought was uh, real at one point in time. Um, but yeah, go on. Tell us to, what yeah. we should be feeling. Yeah, no, no, yeah, <laughs> exactly, right. Um, and and to challenge the status quo. I mean, that's a, that's effectively mm-hmm. what most people get out of it. Now, you know, the fact that that term "red pilled" is you know, or the concept has been co opted by the ultra right wing, you know, corners of the Internet, uh, most infamously, you know, people like uh, like incels and stuff like that. You know, they took the red pill. This is, you know, this is why women won't fuck me, you know, mm-hmm. kind of a thing. And it's just like uh, things like that. Right. Uh, the fact that he's even using that as a reference is very telling. He knows who his audience is. So, you know, I, I, I don't know how Vance can't know this, but at least one of the characters, uh, one of the creators, Lily Wachowski, uh, has gone on record expressing that the Matrix is 
effectively an allegory for for transitioning for for you know uh becoming a a uh, you know uh for trans people right and you know by the way that that red pill that the alt-right loves to reference that's actually a metaphor for uh estrogen hormone therapy see because oh, wow. back in the day no back in the day the the the, uh, the, the estrogen pill is a red pill hmm. yeah I, I actually tripped across that in, a, in an article in Vulture, actually, from 2019 that summarizes it quite nicely. I'll link it in the show notes. But basically, this is how it goes, uh, according to that to the author of that article. It's pretty much this is it. Um, the Matrix is the gender binary, right? Neo is, is a trans person. And Agent Smith is basically like, you know, it's a rejection of that. Because so you notice how if you accept that metaphor, um, then, you know, Neo becomes Neo and his his dead name, so to speak, is, you know, Mr. Anderson. And that's what Agent Smith refers to him as all the time. Never mm-hmm. calls him Neo, calls him Mr. Anderson, which is a denial of Neo's like true identity. That's mm-hmm. that's oversimplified, but that's basically it. Netflix released um, a very nice thread um, discussing this. And Lily Wachowski released a video actually outlining a lot of the main points of the allegory. So, and this was a couple of years ago already. So there's no way that he shouldn't know this, you know? Um, so I, well, I, I, I he'd have yeah. to actually care. Uh, that's, true. <laughs> <laughs> that's true. That's true. Um, it was, it's not in like a right wing meme, so he doesn't, uh, he's not going to trip across <laughs> it. That's okay. But yeah, that's, that's essentially what it is. Uh, anybody actually involved with the project, there's no dispute about this. So having said all that, right, Vance chooses to take this work, right, The Matrix, and he uses it to reinforce, as I said, his assertions that universities are controlling information, that they're not, quote, sympathetic to the audience, which, again, it is the National Conservatism Conference. Um, And then Vance asks the audience why they've allowed this to happen, as you heard at the very end, right? So Vance proclaims that the universities have two central stated goals. One is to disseminate information, Okay, fair. And the second is to train future uh, thinkers to tackle future problems. Now, ostensibly, I'll agree. I'll agree that's ostensibly what universities, two of their primary goals, okay? I could talk a lot about the history of, of universities and education in this country, but that's not what he's getting at. Now, unsurprisingly, Vance believes that this is not what universities are in fact doing, okay? Um which is quite a generalization. But don't worry, Vance has examples to prove his point that universities are engaged in some leftist nefarious plots, all right? So first up, first example, he's got an astronomy professor um, who is who is an example of cancel culture, right? Um, this is very important to Vance, but for some reason, Vance can't actually remember the name of the professor. Just today, actually, I logged onto Twitter, the worst website in the entire world, and... I was introduced to a paper that was published by, you know, a professor's name I'd never heard in the University of Texas. And the basic argument that this professor makes is that many of the research outcomes in astrophysics and in other fields can be predicted by an artificial intelligence algorithm. This, this professor said that if you want to actually predict what the next generation of academics will produce, one of the very useful tools is artificial intelligence algorithms. And it occurred to me 
of course, that for so much of the past 10 or so years, we've been told that all the blue-collar jobs will be replaced by artificial intelligence. And yet here's a professor telling us that the academic knowledge that exists in our society will be replaced by artificial intelligence. Of course, the professors reacted crazily to this. Okay, so Vance is saying he tripped across an academic paper from a professor at the University of Texas, Austin, which claims outcomes um, of astrophysicist work, right, can be predicted through an algorithm, right? And then, quote, the professors go crazy, all right? So, so far, he, he uh, Jay, if that's all you've got to work with, right, do you have any idea what he's talking about? Did, did, Absolutely What did he not. say? <laughs> okay. Okay. I mean, ser- seriously, based on what you heard, you know, the prediction through an algorithm, somebody's work, future, future academic work, right? Does that mean anything to you? No, and I'm really searching my mind because I feel like I, I should have heard about something like this, but sure, no, sure, okay. yeah. And, and so Vance goes on, right? And he reads a portion of the professor's apology, right? And he editorializes at the end to give it a feel of victimhood, all right? The professor who published this paper issued the following apology. Let me just read it. I apologize most humbly and sincerely for the stress that I have caused with a PNAS preprint. The paper and my book on using metrics of research impact to help inform decisions on career advancement. My goal was entirely supportive. I wanted to promote fairness and concreteness in judgments that are now based uncomfortably on personal opinion. I wanted to contribute to a climate that favors good science and good citizenship. My work was intended to be helpful, not harmful, It was intended to decrease bias and to improve fairness. But of course, according to the mob, his research did nothing of the sort and promoted bias and promoted unfairness. And so this person has to propose this ridiculous apology. Now ask yourself, what is the purpose of a university that responds to a paper with that kind of reaction? Jay, from all that talking, do you have any idea what's at issue here? I'm I'm really confused as to what just happened. <laughs> and I don't know if that's by design or if I'm just not following like did I did I drink too much white claw? <laughs> the um, answer to that is never. <laughs> never. No. No. Um so uh, you know, Jay, you mentioned this earlier. He, he's, he's, and I don't think he's doing it accidentally. And I don't think you're proposing he's doing this accidentally. He, um, Vance is taking a thing that is true. Okay. He's taking things that are accurate and then he's spinning them to fit his narrative. And in the telling, he's being purposely vague because he's probably correctly assuming that no one in that audience is going to call him out on this. Okay. Certainly not in real time. So, Especially once they hear big words like professor and university. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, it already it's confirmation bias. You know, they are Mm. these are these are probably well-educated people is my bet. So in this particular case, right, I uh, it wasn't hard to look up what he's talking about. Right. So Inside Higher Ed published a piece on this incident, right, on November 4th of this year. It was written by Colleen Flaherty. All right. The write-up summarizes the controversy pretty well. All right. Basically, this is what happened. Okay. Uh, and keep in mind, this is this is an example that Vance is giving of like you know um, universities running amok, right? Uh, suppressing uh, ideas and shit. All right. Basically, this is what happened. John Cormody, that's the professor um, 
in the center of all this. He published a paper in late October, right? Prior to the publication of his related book, which is called Metrics of Research Impact in Astronomy. Sounds like a big snooze, but I'm not an astronomist, right? Uh, the central idea is Cormandy uh, developed a model right to more accurately so he says predict career outcomes based on in part on citation counts okay are you uh are you, are you familiar with how that works jay because i had to look this up citation, citation counts in your paper in your research paper no not only that so i think what he's saying is that like the amount of time some so for example jay you work in tech right mm-hmm. um imagine if you will that you're applying for a job somewhere Okay, and part of the metric for how the people are going to judge how worthy you are or, or what your worth is as a person in your field. Imagine if people wrote papers about tech and they reference you, Jay, mm. a paper you wrote. Got it. Got so it. the Got amount it. of times you're mentioned mm-hmm. that is like inherently like tied to your self-worth as as a as a as a man of your of your profession. Mm-hmm. that's the idea okay so and that's not new by the way it's a, you know it's the number of times that somebody cites somebody else's work so that's pretty common and problematic on the face of it for a few reasons but the second part of of Cormandy's model with which he says that he can predict uh reasonably sure the uh work outcome of a certain of candidates is uh based on a survey so what Cormandy did was he had 22 astrophysicists rank other uh, astronomers and astrophysicists on a scale of one through eight with one being like Nobel prize caliber scientist. Okay. Mm-hmm. So he believes that that was a way that he was able to tweak his algorithm to make it more realistic, right. To, to, uh, um, to account for the, 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 the subjective, so to speak. So in other words, metrics could using metrics, he could find a way to say, find the best candidate for a job. All right. Now, in his paper, Cormandy did warn against using only metrics for hiring, right? Because there's a lot of, you know, things that that can't be measured that way, obviously. But he did outline that they could, that metrics could be used to reduce a large field of candidates to a very small elite field of candidates. Um, Now, there's an obvious problem to this, right? And I I can see that you already see it. (laughs) The problem, yeah, here's the problem, right, Um, is that ultimately all these things are subjective, especially using only 22 uh, astrophysicists to rank 500, (laughs) right? That's that's just saying, like, I I, I mean, as a layman, I understood quickly, like, there's something wrong here, but I'll leave it to astronomy professor Peter Van Dockham, uh, I hope I'm pronouncing his name correctly, of, by the way, Yale University. Uh, which was <laughs> Vance's alma mater, um, to to explain this, right? Basically, Van Dockham's uh, critique was that Cormandy's um, approach to this was sloppy. Quote, this is a very odd way of approaching this complex process of hiring. The other thing is, what this shows is just the opinions of these 22 people who are not a particularly representative subset of the community. But somehow these 22 people and how they subjectively judge people correlates with the number of citations that these people had and presumably will have, and that's it. All right? And Vindakum wasn't the only uh, scholar who's opposed to this form of research by Cormandy, right? Uh... Another from the from the uh, <clears throat> inside higher ed piece quote Brian Gainsler 
Canada Research Chair and Professor of Astronomy at the University of Toronto, said that evaluating scholars, their work and their potential is time-consuming and difficult. There are no formulae, uh, formulae that can provide a shortcut. Beyond that, Gainsler asserted that there was, in fact, evidence of gender bias in Cormany's paper. Moreover, he said, quote, there's a vast amount of excellent sociological research on metrics, bibliometrics, and bias, none of which was cited or drawn upon. So basically what happened was science, okay? This guy, Cormandy, he put out a paper ahead of a book. People found a problem with that because there's inherent biases in all things, um, and people of color and women in fields of science are underrepresented <laughs> in citation count. And that's the problem. That's the point. You know, it's funny you say that. And I was going to, when you first started talking about this, my first thought was, I wonder what Neil deGrasse Tyson thinks about this. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> you know, and it's just like, I mean, okay, look, Jay, you're a professional in a field that I will never understand. Sometimes. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, how, I mean, honestly, I, I personally, I wouldn't feel very comfortable being judged on a job application based on some type of metric like that. That sounds highly subjective and incredibly biased, you know? So there's almost room for a whole podcast on this anyway, uh, because it kind of happens anyway. Um, while they don't use paper citations, uh, especially a lot of the big tech companies, they started using AI robots to filter job resumes. And basically, for a certain school, or a certain city, a certain previous job wasn't on your resume, you wouldn't even get through. If you didn't have certain keywords on your resume, you wouldn't even get through to the point where a human could look at your resume and evaluate you. So. Trust me when I say I understand the virus <laughs> of using like random metrics to to qualify someone for a position. Yeah, and and I mean more to the point, it's like it's like anything else. It's like look, once you figure out that this is what people are doing, then people are going to figure out how to game the system. Exactly. <laughs> I. The, thus defeating the whole point. You know, it, it's why I'm so. I mean, not like it's. I started this, but it's why people, and I agree with this, are so against uh, stat-based policing, for example. You know, it's the idea that like, oh, the number of tickets or the number of arrests or the blah, 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 uh, that, that determines the quality of public safety, which is bullshit, you know, and it's just like, I, and I don't need to go into that. All you need to do is read up on stop and frisk in New York and you'll see how that's <laughs> utter bullshit, Okay. But I digress. I digress. Greater minds have discussed this. And so, but the point here is that this is an example that Vance is giving to show that like, you know, one example of like, you know, the the the, the woke mob of the left in the university uh, world that is, you know, running roughshod on independent thinkers. And honestly, dude, it's boring. I was bored explaining this. This is <laughs> right. This is nothing. This is nothing. Right. Um, I, I, I read, I read the, um, 
the paper, right, that was has since been retracted. And that's what happened. Like people people spoke out and says, hey man, you're just reinforcing these these metrics that are, you know, kind of bi- obviously biased against people of color and women in the first place. This isn't this isn't doing the thing that you think it's going to do, that mm-hmm. you say it's going to do. And he he withdrew it, right? And you know, it reads like a socially tone-deaf professor taking back research based on a probably faulty premise, right? And it's only a story because people like Vance want to use it to wage a propaganda war against universities in general. You know, I mean, to be clear, nobody went on record at the university saying they demanded that Cormandy withdraw his work. You know, he said as such, you know, he's just like, I chose to withdraw my work. Now, I can't say definitively no one pressured him behind the scenes, but there's certainly no evidence to suggest as such. And that's why it's good propaganda, because Vance is taking something that's true. A paper was released and then retracted with an apology. And then he gets to editorialize at the end, saying that, you know, this person was crushed under the boots of wokeness. <laughs> some shit, you know, and, and that's his that's his game. That's his game. You know, um, are woke boots <laughs> free because they're socialist? Ooh, woke, wait, woke boots, woke socialist boots. woke boots. Yeah. yeah. That's going to go along with our, our, our baby bootstraps. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, yeah, this is a standard tactic of propagandists. You know, he's advances cherry picking stories and turning them into an example of a larger supposed problem. And by the way, that's interesting because that betrays Vance's bullshit. See, because by that logic, then he should take examples of, you know, systemic racism and the targeting of people of color by the law enforcement community and uh, and, and extrapolate that as part of a larger problem of systemic racism. Oh, but no, I, no, no. That's different. No. <laughs> that's no. different. <laughs> no, no, I see, no, it, it's, it's, if I can digress a little bit, that's people like him would have me and everyone else believe that every time something like that happens, that's a one-off that happens in a vacuum, you know, a- mm-hmm. anything you could name that would support that in the aggregate supports the, the correct assertion that we're built on systemic racism that, that no, no, no. These are all isolated incidents that keep happening throughout history, you know? But one professor withdraws a, a problematic paper, and it's part of a larger trend. So that's, that's yeah. Like I said, that betrays his bullshit. So, Vance keeps going. Now, he gives us another example. Now we get to a student who's being victimized by the, uh, the ultra-progressive mob that is his alma mater, Yale University. I, I've, I've recently followed the ridiculous situation at Yale Law School, which when I was there was clearly a liberal biased place, but I went back there and gave a speech in 2018, and it felt genuinely totalitarian, right? It felt like the sort of place where if you were a conservative student who had conservative ideas, you were terrified to utter them, terrified of being socially ostracized, terrified of getting bad grades from your professors. And recently, what we've learned is that a young student who invited a bunch of students over to his house in a joking way has been threatened by the diversity bureaucracy at Leo Law School. Literally threatened that his bar examination might receive a negative approval, his, his, his character and ethics examination might receive a negative appraisal from the law school because he dared joke about some of the ridiculous progressive orthodoxies that exist on our campuses today. Now think about that. 
Think about what it means, not just to be made fun of or to be criticized by your peers, but to have the diversity administrators at one of the best law schools in the country literally threaten you that you might not even be able to pass the bar examination because you told a joke in a way that was offensive to progressives. That is the world in which we actually live, ladies and gentlemen. That is the universities that we actually occupy. That is the unfortunate situation in which truth and knowledge in our country actually reveals and disseminates itself. So, yeah. I'm waiting for some context here. Like, <laughs> what does this guy um, really say? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Spoiler alert. He never, that's it. He doesn't, he doesn't <laughs> expand on this at all. <laughs> at all. I mean, the fact that he's being vague. I mean, again, we've already talked about this. He's being vague on purpose, you know. Mm-hmm. So this way, you know, if he's too precise, then that sound bite, you know, would would be too damning, right? Not that it would stop him or slow him down at all. Um, you know, he's doing a decent job once again of taking something that is most uh, somewhat true right and then he exaggerates it so somehow magically it perfectly fits his narrative you know um so here here's here's what actually happened okay what he's referring to so in mid-september of this year all right a yale law student who i will not name um although his name you know he was later named in some news stories covering this but i i'm not going to put his name out there that's no need for that um sent an email invitation right to people uh regarding a party that was co-hosted by two institutions the uh at yale law school uh the native american law school associate uh uh, excuse me the native american law students association and the federalist society okay uh for a celebration of constitution day which is september 17th right seems pretty hoity-toity who cares Here's the problem. I just didn't know there was a Constitution Day. I'm completely stuck on it. Yeah, that. yeah. It's the day that the Constitution was ratified in 1787. Apparently, it's September 17th. I had to Google that shit. So, I mean, uh, so uh, who cares, right? But the email apparently read as such. Let me... I had it all lined up. Here we go. <clears throat> uh, Sup, Nulsa. This is, uh, you know, obviously the uh, Native American... Uh, Law Student Association. Sup, Nalsa. Hope you're all feeling social. This Friday at 7.30, we will be christening our very own, soon-to-be, world-renowned Nalsa Trap House by throwing a Constitution Day bash in collaboration with FedSOC. It means uh, uh, Federalist Society. Uh, planned attractions include Popeye's chicken, basic bitch American themed snacks like apple pie, etc., a cocktail station, assorted hard and soft beverages, and most importantly, the opportunity to offend the Nalsa Trap House's inaugural mixer. Hope to see you all there. So, without without additional context, Jay, does that does that language invoke anything in you? Uh it evokes a lot in me. <laughs> like this dude sounds yeah. like a twerp. <laughs> <laughs> like he, like people like that, just kind of grind my gears a little bit. Mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. But mostly because he thinks he's funny, and there are ways to make jokes like that in a funny sure, way. Sure, but he's not funny. <laughs> like he's just—he <laughs> sounds like an idiot. He sounds like a twerp. Right. Right. 
let, let, let me ask you, and, and, and I promise there's a point to this. Um, mm-hmm. any, does anything that I read there, right? Anything in that, in that language, does that invoke anything in you that, that, uh, you know, you feel free to be honest, obviously. Like, d- did you take offense particularly to any of the language there? Like, personally or more generally seriously um, was there anything so there? just when he used the word trap house i was a little bit confused because you said this is to the native american association yes yes and, and the federalist society i don't and, know if you know who they are <laughs> um uh, i know that neither of those two groups are black and a lot of the references he made were of black culture like, so Popeye's chicken is supposed to be black culture because black people like fried chicken. Right, uh, right. Trap houses are abandoned houses that people go and make drugs in. Right. Which is supposedly primarily something black people do. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I'm, I'm pairing it in this way because I know what they're trying to invoke. Right. Um, when the truth is... People of all colors do all these things, <laughs> and we just happen to come up with cool names for it. <laughs> <laughs> don't don't blame us for branding awareness. Okay. Um, yeah, but yeah, it's just like, and that's what I'm saying. Like he's trying to make this joke, but who who is he talking to? Like, like right. it doesn't even make any sense. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's really what bothers me about it. Like. Other than that, like, it doesn't make me angry because he's obviously an idiot in my head. And I'm glad he got ostracized. I don't care what Mr. (laughs) Van says. Like, he deserves to get ostracized for his bad joke. Yeah, yeah, fair, fair. I mean, a shitty joke is a shitty joke. Now, so I'm actually, that's why I wanted to ask you, Jay, because here's here's the thing, all right? Um, This guy, this this student, you know, he's he's a Zoomer. Right. Technically from a different generation than you and I. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, old ass millennials that we are apparently who are out of touch now suddenly. <laughs> All right. So I still know what a trap house is though. Yeah. <laughs> well, and that, so, so that's, but that's important. Okay. Cause that actually is central to what happened. Okay. At least supposedly what happened. All right. So, um, the, this, this happened in September, the earliest, um, version of this story being reported that i could find uh appeared on october 13th on a publication website called the washington free beacon um the i don't know if you know the free beacon but they slant to the right um and if you don't believe me um let me give you i feel like anything that claims to be something is probably not what it claims to be (laughs) yeah let me let me let me let me give you an example Okay, well, let's go to the Free Beacon website. Here we go. And uh, actually, you know what? I'm going to, we're going to experiment here. I'm going to share this screen, actually. Hold on. Ooh. Come to Free Beacon. Nothing like a live demo. There we go. All right, so you got that? Got it. It's coming okay, up. Okay, so it's, you, it's you see what I'm seeing? It's slow, but it's coming up. Hold on. All right, you see, you see what I'm seeing on the left there? We got the latest. No, right? hold on. It, it's still loading. Oh, still loading? Okay, I'm yeah. gonna read them to you then. So, <laughs> for example, ahead, like they're they're um, there it goes. There, okay. So you see what right? 
The Biden administration, the Democrats, Dem reps banned staffers from using Latin X. Uh, <laughs> Biden admin sues Texas for second time in three months. House Democrats won't schedule vote on bill to sanction Chinese slave labor, etc., etc. You get the idea. Right? You know, I do want to give them credit for not using the word blast slams or what's the other big one? Uh, uh, destroys. Destroys. That's a, that's a good one. <laughs> Fact uh, check. Stacey Abrams says she did not challenge Georgia election outcome. You know? So that's fun. You get the idea. Mm-hmm. Um, so they, they, like I said, they, they slant right, but that that's fine. That's fine. I mean, I guess, you know, it doesn't make them particularly anything. So, uh, getting back to it, right? Um, so the student who, again, I will not name, um, was reportedly called into a meeting with the diversity director and an associate dean at Yale University. Diversity director, by the way, is a real tire title. That's a real thing. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, this happened like I think like the same day that the email went out, which I think was like again mid September. So apparently, this is what happened. Uh, the school received some complaints, uh, and. The, oh, you can probably hear my dog barking. We'll just roll with that. Um, the school received some complaints, right? And the admins uh, were concerned uh, around the use of the word trap house and the mention of fried chicken, okay? Things like that. Putting those things together, there was concern that this was turning into... Now, this part is a bit of a leap, okay? There was concern by the admins that this was like code or turning going to turn into something like, like, like a blackface party or something. Now, I personally think that was a bit of a leap, based on what was available, right? But um, the, the the student in question had a couple of meetings, and unbe- I don't know if this was known to the admins who he met with, but he actually recorded the meetings, okay? He had a couple of meetings so, with who? With uh, So the diversity director. Uh, What's the diversity of, director? Okay. Yeah, name of Eldick and a uh, one of the associate deans at uh, Yale University, okay? And he recorded a couple of these meetings in part. And, you know, I haven't read of anyone disputing the veracity of these recordings, and they were posted like like a month and a half ago. So I'm going to take them as accurate, all right? So you can hear in the recordings, I've, I've heard them, uh, you can hear Eldick, the diversity director, that's his last name, Eldick. Uh, he's listening to the student's explanation. Basically what this student said was, and again, keep in mind, he's a Zoomer, all right? His interpretation of what trap house means is it's like a house where kids go to drink and stuff like that. Or it's like, you know, like a frat party type of thing. Like, uh, and if you go to Ur- his thing is like, if you go to urbandictionary.com, that, that meaning of trap house does appear on the website. So that's his explanation. He's saying that he doesn't, he didn't know, Zoomer that he is, that Trap House had the connotation that you outlined earlier, Jay. He's saying his version of Trap House is a place where a bunch of stupid ass kids go to drink. Now, if you listen to the recording, whether or not you believe that the kid is telling the truth, I right, don't. That, okay. <laughs> like, that's why I'm right. just looking at you with a blank face. Like, all right. <laughs> keep going like what else whether you believe it or not (laughs) the diversity director Eldick can be heard in the recording saying that he more or less believes that the kid is telling the truth that this is a misunderstanding now this is important okay so 
this is the part where things got a little tricky, okay? Um, an email was sent out, like, I believe later that day by the administration to, uh, I believe, the second year, uh, the kids law school class, second year law school class, saying that they were aware of an email that was circulated with offensive language and they're dealing with it, right? But they don't include the context of the meeting wherein the diversity director already acknowledged, at least ostensibly, that he accepted the explanation which makes it seem more like a misunderstanding. Now you can, we can believe now if, if we think the kid's full of shit, that's fine. But the diversity director went on record, at least privately that he believed what this kid was saying. You see what I'm saying? You see where this is going? I'm just this. Keep going. Keep going. Uh, I, I want to let you say everything. Yeah. 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 So here's, so, so, so the problem here is that if Eldick tells this kid that he believes him and then the admin releases a statement that doesn't include that context i agree that that is a little problematic on the on the part of the university okay you, you to 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 not include that context is a little that that's that's a little fucked up to me if you think the kid's full of shit then tell him you think he's full of shit Okay. Don't say you believe his explanation and then release a statement in the form of an email where you don't include that part. You see what I'm saying? Like, Mm -hmm. I, I agree with you. I think the kid's full of shit. I can't prove it. But I think the admin kind of misstepped here. You, you know what I mean? I, I, I'm I not feel like we could prove it just by like going yeah. on his Twitter or something like that. Right. <laughs> like, like right? I'm, I'm 1000% sure. That kid knew what he was saying, and he probably talked to a lawyer. Uh huh. Well, he's <laughs> and, a law student, you know. Uh, yeah, he is a law student, <laughs> yeah. and just found it out like it. Like, yeah, no, I, I I agree. I agree with with you. I think the kid is full of shit. That's my personal opinion. Um, uh, and then I'm gonna I'm gonna tell you a phrase that is commonly used uh, in certain communities, and that is all skin folk ain't kinfolk <laughs> so uh you yeah, know mr yasin yeah. is a brown person but that does not mean <laughs> and even if it even if he is uh uh the head of diversity or whatever it doesn't mean that he's fighting for what's yeah. right yeah well and and the student is a person of color too i mean again i'm not going to name drop him mm-hmm. right now uh i'm not going to do that but I mean, I know his name. I've seen his picture. I I know he's part of that group. He is a person of color, um, and uh, yeah. But the it's like I guess the point here, the the main point of Vance's thrust here was the idea that the the university is like threatening that they could fuck around with his bar exam, right? Which is a huge accusation. Mm-hmm. So. As for that part of it, right, I listened to the comments that were uh, recorded by this student. And you can hear the comment about from Eldick about, you know, mentioning the bar exam. And he kind of mentions it in passing. And, you know, what, fuck it. I'm just going to play it. But I do hope that you're able to get at least. I don't know if you can hear that. That's Eldick talking. All right. The two sentence apology out on the group me by the time we get back to the students. And we will wait to hear from you until five. Okay. Okay. Sounds good. All right. Hope you know this is all because we care about you. Thank you. 
It really, really is. And uh -huh. Dean Cosgrove will tell you, I don't have to do my job like this. I want to do my job like this. Mm -hmm. But I could have just, you know, I could have written you an email that said this was wrong and, 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 and gone away. But the university has changed in its approach to a lot of these issues. Um, and you're a law student, and there's a bar you have to take, you know, and it's just, you know, we think it's important to really give you a 360 view. So. Mm -hmm. Okay? Okay. All right. Thank you for coming. Okay, so just to recap, Vance says that that amounts to a threat. That sounds like fucking Ned Flanders right there. You know, I... I'm... Yeah, I'm just trying to, like, piece this all together in my head. Yeah, and... Not, and, and, and yeah. Now that I've heard this clip, and I've, I've kind of gotten a little more insight, mm. uh, it's... To me, it sounds like they were trying to treat this situation as this is a kid and let's try to use this as a teaching moment. Uh, but this kid obviously sounds like an asshole because <laughs> he's like snickering. Yeah. Um, yeah. He, he, he doesn't believe anything, you know, he's yeah. just like, and he's recording the meeting, you know, yeah, and he's recording the meeting. So this kid is obviously an asshole. Um, and <laughs> kids can be assholes by the way. Like, sure. It sure. happens. Like, I don't think that, uh, I think it's just a reality <laughs> that some people are assholes and some people aren't. And assholes are sometimes born assholes. Sometimes people turn into assholes. Truth, um, and truth. sometimes you can help reform an asshole. Sometimes you can't. Sometimes people are just assholes for their entire life. <laughs> and that's just life. Like you gotta work, you gotta deal with it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But, but you heard that. Okay. So that little clip you heard, I listened to both clips. It's like a total of like, we're talking like a total of about 20 minutes eh, total. Right. Mm -hmm. That is basically the tone the whole time. They're not threatening this kid. Right. It's just like, oh, hey, you're, you know, it, it, politely, they're like, hey, you didn't realize what you were doing, uh, but it would be good if you issued a formal apology uh, specifically to a black student organization who took issue with the use of the terms trap house and fried chicken. You know, it's like so they even gave the kid an out. It's like it's not about saying you're a bad person. It's about acknowledging that that was a poor choice of words. I mean, they gave this kid the benefit of the doubt the whole way. And he never, by the way, apologized formally. He he apparently he explained it in like a group me thread or some shit like that. Because he's an asshole. <laughs> <laughs> like, but he ne yeah yeah. So yeah, I mean, I, and again, it sounds like it sounds like a very very like soft touch. Like, hey, maybe you should write an email and do this. And then he refused to do that. And you heard at the end, it's like, well, maybe you could write two sentences of an apology on group me. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. So I mean, they the, the 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 administration basically just caved, you know, and they never, as far as I can tell, they never pursued any type of disciplinary action against this kid, you know, like none. And and I'm not saying they should have, but the point here is that Vance is trying to paint this as like you know uh, uh, um, the 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 bureaucracy of Yale Law School coming down on some kid. First of all, he characterizes that you remember that Vance said he's making a joke, right? Yeah. I, I don't. What's the fucking joke? <laughs> what's the fucking joke? Because the, the kid is said this he was kid is an asshole, and now he's going to be a bigger asshole because he got away with doing this. Oh, d dude, it's not only that. So like. He, he wrote an op-ed, too, uh, defending his actions. And you remember how I this said that he kid? was part... 
Yeah, yeah. He he put himself out there. And again, mm. I the fact that he put himself and I say kid, I mean he's legally an adult, but you know, he's a fucking kid. And you know, the fact that he decided to engage and put himself out there, I one could say that you know what, put his fucking name out there, I'm still not going to do it. It's easy enough to Google if you want to look him up, go for it. But the point here, he has he he tries to character, characterize himself as like a victim. And you remember that part that they said about he's part of the Federalist Society, right? Mm-hmm. Do you know what that is? Uh I've I've definitely heard of it, but you put me on the spot. <laughs> this is one of those things that I look up and then be like these guys are assholes <laughs> and then and then I go on about my day. So they're they're basically um I had to I had to go to the world's greatest source of information, Wikipedia to to look these guys up um basically they were founded in 1982 and let's see purpose quote it is founded on the principles that the state exists to preserve freedom that the separation of governmental powers is central to our constitution and that is emphatically the province and duty of the judiciary to say what the law is and what it should be basically they're a society of students lawyers and judges that are really into originalist um interpretation of the constitution so Mm -hmm. like think scalia basically um yeah so they they are what they are um philosophically i think they suck but yeah so yeah i mean so so basically again this is to me this is a big nothing right um did the admins mishandle this i say they did you know, I, I, if you're going to, if you're going to look, if you're going to, if you're going to agree that, to this kid's bullshit, then you probably shouldn't send an email out like that. Um, if you think he did something wrong that was worth discipline, then you should fucking pursue it. Okay. This, this middle of the road bullshit, like this is what, basically this is what turned this into a story, you know? Um, it, it, again, but this is just another thing that Vance does. It's, it's a nothing story. You know, he, the kids, like you said, the kid's an asshole who cares, you know, if you're not going to discipline him, which they didn't, who gives a shit, you know, cause now he gets to claim victimhood and he's going to be an asshole regardless, even if he did discipline him. <laughs> so you might as well do it so that there are more assholes yeah. don't pop up and think they can get away with it. Yeah. Give him, give him a reason. So. Oh, by the way, Yale Law School is currently being sued for uh, racial discrimination, by the way. Uh, or actually not Yale Law School. I think it's Yale University in general. Excuse me. Um, they uh, for racial discrimination in their admission standards against uh, uh, Asian and white people. I thought that already got settled. That was Harvard. Ah, so the same thing again. Yeah. But we Yale now. Yep. Yep, yep, yep. Basically the same thing. Uh, legal experts uh, pretty much interpret this as just another, you know, attack by, you know, political conservatives, you know, trying to uh, to undermine what, what is trying to be, you know, corrected effectively in, 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 you know, institutions of higher learning. But hey, fuck it, right? <laughs> anyway, back to the good stuff. I just want to take a moment from our... Um, normal programming to start a little thing that actually jay you came up with uh conspiracy theory of the week Ooh, i like it yeah i was just fucking around with my phone on twitter and uh apparently there was a march by a um, an ultra right-wing group in dc recently called patriot front um oh you heard about this 
Oh, so not only had, did I hear about the march, but I also heard that Patriot Front are our old friends from Charlottesville. Oh, yeah. Whoops. So, yeah. I hope I didn't spoil anything. <laughs> no, 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 no. So, according to right wing gadflies, um, apparently these guys were not true patriots, Jay. Um, these people were actually FBI agents. And the reason why they're convinced. <laughs> oh, hold on. Hold on. <laughs> Go on. <laughs> the reason why. MAGA people are convinced these are actually FBI agents is because they're not fat and disgusting enough. This is for... <laughs> hold on, hold on. So this is from Jacob Wool, who's a right-wing dipshit. <laughs> this, is from his, this is from Twitter. Uh, <laughs> these are feds. How do I know? Look at the shape of these guys. They Then look at the BMI of any organically organized conservative gather, gathering or the BMI of any gathering of the general public in America, for that matter. These are likely all FBI special agents. Are you sure this guy isn't a troll? J- Jacob Wall, he's a troll, but he's a real person. He's real. I assure you he's real. Uh, then we've got another one tara la rosa quote the feds are at it again look i've been part of major rallies political events over the past four years there's absolutely no group on the right that can coordinate outfits and accessories like that and have zero sloppy beer guts and ass cracks hanging out (laughs) Uh, i feel like their accounts were hacked (laughs) That's my conspiracy of the week. <laughs> We're going meta conspiracy. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. God. But you know who doesn't deal in conspiracy theories, just lies and half truths? Is JD Vance. That's my segue. That's my pivot. <laughs> so let's get back to some good stuff. Are you ready, Jay, for some fucking critical race theory? Oh, you, don't bring that to my are you, are, neck of the woods. <laughs> are you ready? Are you ready for expert J.D. Vance and his take on critical race theory? Here we go. Oh, bring it. Think about critical race theory. Thank you. <laughs> One soul boo. And what does it mean for our leadership to learn that the way to rectify racial injustice in this country is to put a black graduate of the Harvard Business School on the board of Morgan Stanley instead of to invest in black communities all across our country, or frankly, white communities all across our country. That is the ideology that comes from our universities. And what is the net effect of it? What is the purpose of it? Where does it come from? The simple fact is that our universities tell the powerful what they want to hear and they couch it in ridiculous political rhetoric instead of dealing with the real consequences of progressive policy. Yeah. I'm I'm just I missed the critical <laughs> race theory part. I'm sorry. <laughs> yeah, that was kind of a dodge. He 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 kind of goes off into the weeds a little bit here. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, but, you know, I, I'm not sure what he's getting at with that one. Uh, I don't know if you have an idea what he's talking about with, like, Morgan Stanley and shit like I, that. 
I think he's just trying to use keywords to make people angry. I know, I, right? I have no no clue what he's talking about. He's working the algorithm is what he's doing. You know? <laughs> yeah, basically. He's, I mean, look, I have a guess, but it's only a guess. I'm going to play a few more clips. Um, I, but I have a bad feeling about where he's going with this. I mean, that didn't have anything to do with critical race theory. I mean, I didn't expect it to, but that had less to do with it than normally, you know? Uh, yeah, so Vance is, he's zigzagging now. Okay, so now uh, he now we're gonna get back to misogyny uh, in the name of populism. But I promise we'll get back to CRT in just a second. Say you're a middle class Ohioan where I'm running for Senate right now, and you're worried about the fact that your heating bills this winter look to go up by fifty or sixty percent. Say you're worried about the fact that your grocery bills, your gasoline bills, are skyrocketing even as we speak. Ladies and gentlemen, don't dare complain about it. Because, didn't you know, the person who has implemented these policies is the first female Treasury Secretary of the United States. She's a great trailblazer. Who cares that you can't afford basic necessities for your family? The universities tell us that so long as we're trailblazing on diversity, equity, inclusion, it doesn't matter if normal people get screwed. All that matters is progressive orthodoxy and whether our society reinforces it. Yeah. Once again, what the fuck is he talking about? <laughs> <laughs> like, like gas prices? And, yeah, yeah, yeah. The Treasury Secretary? Yeah. What? Yeah. It, he's not it, saying anything, right? I, I'm not alone in this, right? What? So, <laughs> he Okay, so he's referring to Janet Yellen, who is the first female Treasury Secretary, okay? And the implication is that Janet uh, Secretary Yellen is causing prices to rise, right? And we're not allowed to question her about that because she's a woman and uh, she's a woman and doing so will incur the wrath of the progressives. Okay. So I'll admit, okay, I, I don't understand economics. I don't understand macroeconomics. That's not my forte. Good thing you have me on this show. I because <laughs> I, I obsess over it. Right. Okay. Okay. So so the implication is that Secretary Yellen in the last oh I don't know like nine months has basically somehow caused inflation through policy decisions. I so I, go go. Uh, I got nothing. I, I don't understand this. So let. Uh, there's there's one thing that I just really want to point out to all of our listeners. I actually had a friend the other day. He just uh, he we had a group chat going on, and he just busting the group chat. Man, fuck Joe Biden. My gas prices are you know five dollars a gallon or whatever. <laughs> and I was like, listen, man, no president since the time this country is born has had. Fuck all to do with gas prices. <laughs> gas prices are set by private companies and they're changed supposedly according to react to the market of supply and demand, like how much it costs for a barrel of oil. But that even in of itself is a lie because a barrel of oil as a commodity, let's say it costs $200 today. It doesn't necessarily mean that your corner gas station is going to have to go pay 200 barrels, $200 a barrel to go refine that oil because guess what? It's a fucking global supply chain and <laughs> oil is refined months in advance and then people literally just make up the price as they go. They know summer is coming so they charge more money because they know supply is going to go up. Um, now, 
I'm not saying that what the the Fed and and the well really the the Treasury Secretary has nothing to do with monetary policy. That's the Fed, so that's the first wrong thing there. <laughs> um, but I'm nothing to not saying that what they're choosing to do is like perfect or, or right or wrong, but it, it can have impl- implications on inflation. But that's only through how uh, interest rates uh, are affected. And even then, this base interest rate that the Fed sets, it really governs the interest rate that banks use to lend to each other and banks use to lend to and from the government. So once again, there's kind of this follow-on effect. And the stuff that's going on there is so far off the chain that it's bullshit that it has effect on our day-to-day life. Like the price of milk has fuck all to do with what the Fed is doing. It has to do with uh, supply chain issues. It has to do with the fact that it costs more now to employ people. Well, it should be, but they're not actually paying people (laughs) uh, more. Uh, So this is really like in in all of macroeconomics, it's like at its basis, just everything he said was dumb. (laughs) (laughs) Like there's just so much wrong there. It, it, you, you know, Jay, I'm going to pick your brain a little bit um, because, again, I this is, again, not my forte. Um, mm-hmm. I, I've read snippets here and there that, uh, um, you know, uh, the part of the price rise, part of the inflation, if you can call it that. I mean, we'll call it that. I mean, people are saying it has a lot to do with, like, economic recovery. Like, you know, businesses were closed and now they're, real, you know, in the last, like, 12 months since, like, you know, the, the implementation of vaccines, more businesses are open, more people are spending more money. Um, does, does that, does economic recovery play into this at all? Or is, is like, is something going wrong or is something going right and it's just, it's an uncomfortable period right now, you know? So in economics, something is always going wrong and something's always going right. And, <laughs> <laughs> it's it's always uncomfortable for someone. Um, so because of just how our monetary system works, we try to limit how much money is out there. So not everyone can be a winner. So there's always winners and losers. That's it's capitalism. By design. <laughs> capitalism by design. Um, so once again, this is a large, complicated problem. But at its core... Prices right now are going up because demand is going up and the supply can't keep up because of the issues we have due to the pandemic. Um, And it also can't keep up because of the issues we have due to workers' rights. Like, basically, truck drivers are saying, fuck you, I'm not working for the same wages. Um, Warehouse workers are saying, fuck you, I'm not working for the same wages. And it's causing supply chain issues, which causes prices to go up. That's just like basic economics. <laughs> Everyone knows supply and demand. Um, but yeah, there's there's not enough people to do the work. And then on top of that, there have been trade policies put in place, like what the last administration did with China, that inherently when you tax, when you put taxes on goods, companies just pass the prices down to consumers because they don't want to absorb it because they have shareholders to appease. Um, What's going on in Europe with Brexit? Uh, You know, Britain exited the EU creating trade issues (laughs) and what is their kind of local market? But some of that also extends to here. Um, I was actually just listening to an economics podcast the other day uh, where 
someone who in America had a company that was sourcing their goods from Europe and Asia, like just spices and stuff to make a little microwave dinner at home. You can't get that anymore because of all the issues going on due to COVID and due to the whatever the hell is going on with Brexit. So it's just it's a mess right now economically. Um, and like I said, the, the world is never perfect, but we kind of headed in the wrong direction for probably a good six years now. And we're just seeing the after effects of it. So so, so what you're saying is George Soros and the woke mob, if I got this right, uh, are systematically undermining our good American patriotic economic system in favor of a global system of 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 you know demonizing white people is that what i'm hearing because that's what i heard no is that what? i'm saying there's a guy named brandon that we can blame this all on <laughs> let's go brandon let's go thank you for that explanation because you know here's the thing what the big tech takeaway first of all i didn't understand any of that so thank you genuinely second thing <laughs> it just Based on that explanation, it sounds like Vance is full of shit. I I don't hear, I didn't hear anything out of that explanation that had anything to do with the Treasury Secretary who's been in that position for, again, like less than a year. I, I, I'm not seeing it. So that would mean that he is either, he doesn't know what he's talking about or he's willfully lying. So... Well, to be fair, Janet Yellen, I think she was formally involved with the Fed. She, mm-hmm. formally, she was. She was, yeah. to be clear. So that might be the point he's trying to make. I doubt it. When I doubt she it. was at the Fed. <laughs> I'm just, but, so remember, they do wordplay in order to invoke certain feelings. So it's true, like using true. the word Anglo and... Yeah. So by yeah. saying Janet Yellen, people are thinking the Fed, even though she works for the Department of the Treasury right now. <laughs> um, well, and he didn't even use her name. He was just like, oh, she's a woman, you know, mm-hmm. and we're not allowed to question her, which is bullshit, because that's all anybody ever does to women in power in, in high profile positions is fucking question them. You know, where where are your children at right now? Fuck you. You know? Yeah. Yeah. So uh, that's. Okay, so I'm gonna I'm gonna check that one off from, from Vance on as bullshit, just pure bullshit. And by the way, I just I I actually wasn't sure myself, but I was like, what the hell does the Treasury Secretary do? Because I know they don't do what he's <laughs> saying they do. Yeah. Um. Yeah. So I'm I'm on home.treasury.gov. <laughs> so this is the U.S. government's definition of the role of what the organization of the the Treasury is supposed to do. They manage federal finances, uh, collect taxes and duties, so the IRS. Um, They manage currency and coinage, which is probably just the minting, sorry, of currency and coinage. Mm -hmm. Uh, And I guess at some level, they manage how much is actually available at any point in time. So they'd have some control over inflation, but like they know that if they just sit there and print a billion dollars, that (laughs) it's going to be a big issue. Um, But a lot of what they do is just managing the government uh, spending and finances uh, that we, you know, what we hear, oh, this 
federal spending bill got passed. They're the ones who like managed doling out that money. Okay, fair, fair. I mean that that sounds absolutely vital and boring as shit. I, oh, I, I, yeah, I. It, not, it can be boring, but it's also exciting when you you hear about things like the chicken tax. Uh, you know what? We'll we'll save that one for another day. I, I do want to hear about the chicken tax, but uh, we we got no time for that because Vance is still going down the MAGA checklist, right? And keep in mind, this is everything we're discussing is is Vance's. You know, his is in support of Vance's uh, Vance's uh, thesis that um, you know the the universities are out of control. Right. So next up, we're going to just a just a quick aside to uh, election fraud may very well elect Glenn Youngkin, governor of Virginia tonight. I heard somebody say he won. Uh, I remember a similar feeling about a year ago, certain that my guy won. And it, and, it, and, it, and it turned out it turned out that there was some some toilet problems in the late night counting. So I certainly hope that Glenn Youngkin wins. And if, frankly, if we lived in an actual first world country, we would know by 11 o'clock tonight. And I will be toasting Glenn Youngkin's victory this evening. Uh, as for his use of the term first world, go fuck yourself, Vance. All right. That's that's bullshit. Yeah. You know what he's talking about? Uh you mean in the whole the, first the, world versus third world country? No, 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 no. The, 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 the toilet problem thing with the, the Glenn uh, No, I don't know what he's talking about. There That's why a, I made that face. Yeah. There was a um, there was a debunked assertion that there was a burst pipe, right, uh, problem at a Georgia election center, right, during the 2020 presidential oh, election. Oh, yeah. Heard about yeah, that? Yeah. yeah, I think we talked about it, no? Yeah, yeah, yeah. The confla- and, they conflated two things. A burst pipe yeah. led everyone to get out. And then they brought out fake ballots from underneath a, a table. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. And they, and they showed the video. It's like, look at them bringing out the suitcases, those, those <laughs> suspicious looking suitcases. And it's bullshit. And we've discussed it. And it, it, it's nonsense. But I guess Vance didn't get the message. So, you know, I, I could do this all day. Like I said, I cherry picked this one. Uh, but I think we kind of understand Vance's level of discourse at this point, right? So I, I, I wanted to include uh, his take on critical race theory because he finally, you know, he teased it. Now he's back. We're back. We're back to CRT. Um, now, considering that Vance has a law degree, right? And the fact that CRT is a look at American systems, uh, particularly the uh, uh, legal systems through a lens of race, we can in- expect an informed critique, right? Right? so so jd show me what you got but really ask yourself what critical race theory does and what its purpose is right now in american schools there are millions of children who are learning about the fundamental evil of american slavery and america's racist past and of course we have a complicated past and there are a lot of sins that we have to atone for but I'm pausing. A complicated past. That's an overly charitable fucking view. So. <laughs> that's people who just don't want to admit that this country is fucked up. Yeah, I mean, but, uh, and it, I'll, I'll let him continue. Hold on. But ask yourself why American children are learning about America's racist past 180 years ago instead of the fact that this very moment there was a major multinational corporation named Apple 
that is employing slaves in China, not 180 years ago, ladies and gentlemen, but right now, this very moment. I just want to be clear, Vance, who got his start in tech with Peter Thiel, wants to focus on the evil of tech. I just I just want to start <laughs> start there, okay? You know, it also implies, you know, there's a plot there. This reminds me of the anti-communism shit, you know, like John Birch Society. You know, it's like it's like what we talk about, remember, Jay, about Falwell, when he deflects from the evil, the objective evil of apartheid South Africa, by asking why no one is concerned about China right yeah it's like you didn't answer my fucking question I, we can say both are bad but we're talking about south africa you know yeah and also what like what's wrong with learning history right exactly exactly like like we, we like you said we can talk about slavery and we can also talk about what's going on in china which isn't quite slavery not saying it <laughs> It's sure, great, sure, but it's not slavery because <laughs> those people get paid. Right. I mean, technically, yes. Very I, fundamental difference. Sure, sure, and <laughs> and you know we're not, and I know we're not going to engage in in you know the oppression Olympics here, but I mean that's exactly mm-hmm. the point. Is like two things can be bad. You don't necessarily mm-hmm. have to compare which is worse. To, and to, and it completely ignore the other one. <laughs> right, exactly. Like, oh, yeah. Exactly. And and that's that's classic whataboutism of the right wing, you know? It's just like, oh, oh, you bring this up, well, what about this? You know, what about all these other fucking things? It's like, okay, fine. And also you heard I was talking about, you know, racism from like 180 years ago. This is the, you know, the classic talking point of like, oh, well, you know, at the end of the Civil War, that was like the end of slavery you know, theoretically. So that was the end of racism. It's funny. I can tell you about something that happened last March. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Last May. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Sorry, not last. I mean, this March and this May. uh Uh-huh. Uh-huh. You know. uh, But also last May. Yeah, (laughs) exactly. Exactly. I mean, you know, and and to be to be clear, you know, people have said, myself included in the past, I've said that, like, you know, the uprisings, I call them uprisings, not riots, following the murder of George Floyd, um, people people attribute uh, the volume and the scope of that to um, to uh, the shutdowns, you know, in uh, connected to COVID, you know, things like that. Uh, businesses were shut down, schools were shut down. People uh, theoretically had more spare time and things like that. I and, and mm-hmm. you know, I've I I will fully admit this. There was a part of me um, that like probably assigned too much um, of the 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 cause to that, and I think that that sort of shortchanges the fact that people collectively looked at that you know at that at the murder of george floyd and they were like that's fucked up you know what i mean that's that's you know uh, i I actually think you're you're right on both like i think it was as widespread as it was because people had the time to complain and if uh, i remember talking to people about it at that time like that's why people were so intent on getting people back to work because when people aren't working, they can pay attention to the things that are wrong around them and they'll start complaining. But you get people back to work, then they're mindless drones again. <clears throat> yeah. And then, and then we get into the, you know, now we're getting into the intersection of, you know, um, critical uh, critical theory in terms of race and critical theory in terms of labor. You know, and this is where, you know, if I can just 
sort of go off on a tangent here this is this is you know as we know where the left kind of like kind of sabotages itself sometimes because it gets into this thing where like you know the left is a large is a big tent you know and there's a lot of people you know and 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 sometimes i feel like people get caught up in like you know uh, this is more important than this rather than we can all work together to to move forward to move past what's going on and i think you sort of nail it you know there, there's a labor aspect of this you know get people back to work but there's also an overwhelming you know sense of uh, of a racial aspect to this you know and and mm-hmm. where we lose people is where you know like classic or, or neo-marxists uh types want to focus specifically on labor um as opposed to like you know acknowledging the 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 racial lens through which you have to acknowledge, you know, how this how the American system works. You know what I mean? Yeah, and I mean, I think it's like we've said several times now, like these issues are complicated and there's no reason why we should focus in on one part of them. We should try and address all the different things that are wrong <laughs> um, and, and not try to make one a particular hot button issue and that's the only thing we go and fix because it's not going to fix everything else. Yeah, for sure. For sure. Um, and, and, and if, you know, I, I feel like if we, not to get too, you know, sentimental here or, 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 you know, idealistic, but I feel like if, if we could focus on that, that sort of like, you know, common cause that, you know, we all want to move forward and beyond this paradigm, you know, people like Vance wouldn't be able to do as easily what they do you know mm-hmm. wh- wh- which is take these stupid ass talking points you know because he's talking about right he says he's talking about crt right and, and that that was basically a non-critique it's like dude you're a fucking lawyer you know you you i don't believe that he doesn't know what critical race theory is you know it's expanded from critical um from critical legal studies you know what i'm saying so i don't believe for one second he doesn't know what the fuck that is you know the fact that he's acting like he's not is kind of a tell so you know Vance continues okay with his non-critique of crt and he really comes to his main point that quote-unquote our children are being taught an agenda by quote our enemies progressive politics is a language a language used by our new oligarchy to do two things on the one hand to rob the american people blind and on the second hand to tell them to shut the hell up about it if they dare complain that is the purpose of american progressive politics that is its net effect and that is the ideology that is reinforced that is given legitimacy and that is taught at our universities why ladies and gentlemen are school children learning from school teachers that America is a fundamentally racist and evil country because those same school teachers learned it from some progressive professor at a university 10 or 15 years ago. That is the fundamental problem of American truth and knowledge today. We create, we have created a system where to work in the modern economy, to live a middle class life, you have to go to a university. That is what our elites tell our young people. And yet at those universities, they are told that working with your hands is looked down upon. They are told that America is a fundamentally racist and evil country. They are taught 
the children who go through this university system, that this country built by our fathers and grandfathers is an evil and terrible place. Ladies and gentlemen, we are giving our children over to our enemies, and it's time we stop doing it. Okay, first of all, this country uh, and its riches, I mean, if you really want to get real about this, was built off the backs of motherfuckers that didn't get paid. So go fuck yourself, number one. Um, there's nothing I love more than when a rich person complains about the oligarchy <laughs> in America. A rich person running for office. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Like, basically propagating it all. Like, yeah. Get the fuck out of my face. <laughs> yeah, right? Right. Well, I mean, come on, Jay. He's not talking to you. He ain't talking to me, you know? <laughs> it, 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 it's, it, that is just such bullshit you know i mean this is the point of vance's rhetoric okay he's cherry picked some stories and he set the table right he's created this narrative that he and people in that room are being victimized that they're being under attack and it follows logically that they must fight back against this quote-unquote enemy you know And, and and that's really all he's getting to And he doesn't even explain CRT at all, which, again, the fact that he went to Yale Law School, I don't believe for one fucking second that he hasn't had a class that covered this. You know, I don't believe it. I just flat out don't. So he's willfully misrepresenting what CRT is. He's also doing that um, conservative talking point, um, declaring that it's that CRT, quote unquote, is being taught to school children, which is bullshit, you know, demonstrably bullshit. So, oh God, I just, I, I, I know we've talked about this a lot, but I just, I, I just get so fucking frustrated with this. You know, it, you've inspired me. I really want to talk to like a layman about what they think CRT is and why they're against it. Like these people who are showing up in fucking school board meetings and yelling at the people. Um, mm-hmm. Yep. Like, like, I just really want to understand why they're so against it <laughs> and 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 what they really think is going on when concepts like this are taught in school yeah i i mean best i can tell from again people more educated than i it's like crt is as a term has been expanded to include i guess teaching history of you know, how this nation was formed, you know, socially and economically. Well, I know a lot of it has to do with white guilt. Like they (laughs) think that like these concepts are being taught in a way to like make you feel guilty now about the things that happened in the past. And that's not really what it's about. It's about saying this stuff went on. Let's try and not do that again. Let's try and build a better society because it was fucked up what we did. And, and and moving forward, the the idea that like if this if it if this country if we can accept this country was built on the premise of systemic racism, then it follows that we have to dismantle and rebuild the system. And this predate anyone alive today. That predates anyone living today by like hundreds of years, you know? So I, 
Okay, and, and you know, not to treat this this podcast like a therapy session, but I, I here's what here's what I'll say about that. Okay, me personally, it is for our listeners. It is. That's it why is. they listen. Here, here's what I'll say about that. I I am half white. Okay, and I am rel- I am very light skinned. Okay, my father's Filipino. You know, it's obvious he's not white. Okay. But growing up, I don't know why or how, I basically only hang out, hung out with white kids for the most part. Only hung out with white kids. Um, and, you know, and then I was in the army and it was mostly white guys in my unit. And, and I, it, this is kind of hard to explain, but I basically identified um, as white. And what I mean by that is I can't recall a lot of moments in my youth or, you know, in my early twenties where people looked at me and they were like, Oh, you're somebody else, you know, like at the very least, either by virtue of my light skin tone or by virtue of my, uh, vocation, you know, military and other jobs, people thought of me as white or at least satisfying whiteness as a concept. And as I get older, I, I feel less white as I become more aware of like how the world works, you know, I, I, I can feel it more and more if that, if that makes sense, you know, and, and I feel less comfortable in my own skin. I mean, if, 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 I mean, you know, Jay, I obviously, I don't, you know, your experience is obviously fucking light years away from mine, you know? Um, but I guess the only thing I have to say to that is like, it's, it's good that you're allowing yourself to like feel and be. And like I said, not, not to get too sappy, but just understand that you, you may not fit into this bucket that people thought you did. Uh, and then you're realizing more and more ways how, (laughs) but (laughs) I think there's nothing wrong with that. Um, as long as you don't start to go back into the same trend and be like, Oh, well now they're other, (laughs) Yeah, the, yeah, yeah. The no, conversation no, no, no. should all be like, yeah, I'm a person and I happen to be a certain shade and uh, it does control some of my experiences in life. But the whole point is to try and make this as neutral as possible for everyone. Right, right. Yeah. And and uh, yeah, it's just a, it's a weird thing to think about, you know, as you get older, like for me personally, as I get older, like I said, I feel less white quote unquote you know it's it's a strange thing so it's like that's why when i hear people like vance it it's particularly infuriating you know because i know what you i know what he's doing i know what he's doing i know who he's courting i know what votes he wants and as i said before that's the point of of his rhetoric you know fighting back against this this perceived enemy anyways so you know vance he keeps going he it, there's a bunch of boring stuff in this speech he talks shit about fauci and covid restrictions it's it's bullshit um and then vance gets uh to story time okay v- uh, vance tells uh, a couple of anecdotes from unnamed people who somehow tell him things that perfectly prove his theories of conservatism that that is under attack right and uh, one of them I found particularly disgusting. Um, it has to do with CRT, of course, right? And this, you know, th- th- this is going to be uh, the last one. And I'm just going to let this one run. I also want to tell you about a young father who pulled his 11-year-old daughter in northeastern Ohio out of her school. Northeastern Ohio is where Cleveland and Youngstown are, for those of you who are un- uninitiated. And he pulled his 11-year-old daughter 
out of high school, sorry, out of elementary school, because she came home for a week, five days in a row, literally sobbing, because she was being told by her teacher that she, because of her white skin color, was an oppressor, and that many of the other children in her classroom were victims. Okay, so I'm going to pause there. This this clip's kind of long. So we, we we have it so far. He's he's saying that a, a father pulled his daughter out of class because of of this, right? We got we're every everyone listens tracking so far. All right, here we go. Now the left, when we talk about critical race theory, says first of all, it's not taught in our schools, which we know all know is ridiculous. But they'll say that the 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 the, the desire here is to try to correct historical wrongs. We're trying to uplift are black citizens, and yet this 11-year-old girl, her best friend in class was a little black girl, and she was sad for two reasons. Okay, pause again. To be, Again, this story is fucking convoluted. So now Vance is saying that the father is telling a story about his daughter's friend who is a black girl, okay? And this is the black girl friend's experience. First because her teacher was telling her because of her skin color she was a bad person. And I don't care if we're talking about a little black girl in 1965 or a little white girl in 2021, telling a little girl that she's evil because of her skin color is disgusting and vile. And as a Christian, I'd say satanic. Yeah, we're going to pause there. Yeah, we, so we're, we're getting into uh, the, the, <laughs> the satanic panic. Okay, so <laughs> it, he's all over the place, okay? So here we keep going. But she was most sad because her best friend in class, ladies and gentlemen, I mean, think about this. Her best friend in class, when they did their separation into victim and oppressors, she was in the oppressor group and her best friend was in the victim group. What is it that we're dealing with when our adults tell 11-year-old girls not to love their fellow citizens, not to build friendships with them, but to put them in one box as they put themselves in another box. That's what we're dealing with in this country. Okay, so that's the, we're, we're, we've come to the end. That one was a little long. So, just off the top of my head, I'm betting that story is 100% bullshit. I, I think it's made up. 100%. Um, and also who's this story about, right? He starts out talking about, it was a father telling about his daughter who he pulled out of school. So did the father tell it? Did the daughter tell it? Did the quote black friend tell it? So I've heard this story before from other people. And my only thing is whether it's made up or not, the real problem in this story is the teacher because that's not how you teach small children <laughs> about slavery. Like, it's just not. Right, right. Um, like, even in high school, I feel like that'd be an odd way to teach them. Uh, but, yeah, like, the whole point is that children have a hard time of, like, you know, displacing their ego and understanding that <laughs> this is just a situation. <laughs> This is not the truth. This is not real. This is not right now. Right. And right. a teacher who is teaching in that way is a bad teacher. And that has, has nothing to do with the overall concept of teaching. Criti- that doesn't mean don't teach 
critical race theory in school. It means don't treat it, teach it like an idiot (laughs) 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 to like supposedly young children that may or may not exist. Right. In this hypothetical, right? Yeah. I, I, so I, I honestly think that this story is complete, a complete lie. So, so, um, there's a book written by a guy named Rick Perlstein. Okay. It's called Reagan land. And in it, he describes, you know, basically the, the America's sort of shift to the right from 1976 to 1980. Uh, but some of the anecdotes he tells is he talks about how Reagan loved to tell stories in this fashion. It's like, somebody told me a story about blah, 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 blah. And he's like, they're all bullshit. These things never happened, or at the very least, he never confirmed that they happened. And I believe that's what Vance is doing here. He's just making shit up. Because here's the problem. That story sounds eerily similar to a a very famous uh, experiment that, Jay, you might be familiar with. So there was a teacher back in the day, and she did an experiment with, with children in a class where where she separated them into brown-eyed children and blue-eyed children. This might sound familiar to you. And basically, yeah, yeah, is basically the idea is like, oh, blue-eyed children were told that they were better than brown-eyed children, and then she flipped it, right, to teach them about racism effectively, mm-hmm. right? Um, and, and that experiment has been used as a model, as an explanation, you know, uh, for, you know, biases and, and racism to this day. Um, now it's a pretty simple model, but whether or not you believe it, what Vance is describing is way too similar to that. Also, I did a few Google searches, you know, a few keywords, um, to see if this was real. Cause if this really happened and Vance really was told about this, I don't believe for one fucking second that he would not reference it. You know, I don't believe that he, that this wouldn't be a, a, a story on Tucker Carlson, you know, that some teacher was, was, was doing this type of thing in Ohio. And I can't find anything referencing. Uh, uh, oh, he tried to say it was specifically in Ohio. No, he was saying that this was real at the beginning of the clip, right? He was saying that like, this was like in the Youngstown area of Ohio. Oh, that's right. Yeah. Yeah. So that this is bullshit. Cause I've heard that same story. Yeah. Yeah. Not in Ohio. <laughs> yeah. Like they just make the shit up as they go. Yeah. It's like, you know, it's just like, and, and it's, it's bullshit on the face of it. It's like unnamed source who is a father who pulled his girl out, his daughter out of school. Right. So you've got this like protect the children and you've got protect the, the, the girls type shit. And you've also got the black friend narrative. We've got that too, you know? So that's mm-hmm. nice. We've got that too. Like um, you're, you're, you're destroying race relations by teaching race relations. Yeah, pretty much. So, yeah, I, I, I that's pretty much where I ended here. That's the last clip. Um, I, he he did mention Pat Buchanan um, as somebody who's inspir- you know celebrating his birthday, who is a guy who was linked to white supremacy in the early nineties. Um, so, whatever, I don't give a fuck about that. But uh, yeah, Jay, did 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 we learn anything about JD Vance today? Uh, he, he doesn't know a lot of things. He, he's very good at, at saying keywords out loud, uh-huh, which uh-huh. sounds, which in this day and age means he's perfect for office. <laughs> he can be president. Uh, yeah. Yeah. I, I could forgive him 
if he was like, you know, just some random guy off the street. But it's like, the fact is, he is really smart. He did go to Yale Law School. You know, he has seen the world. He was in the Marine Corps. He, 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 in theory, is a cultured person. And he chooses to do this. And let me be clear about something, right? Um, I'll link it in the show notes. There's there's actually a, a panel interview he did with, uh, with the Brookings Institute in 2017, where he's um, it's him and two other people, and it's talking about like you know like race and, and and class in America, okay, among other things. And the the question from the panel uh, host was put to him. It's just like you know it. In terms of being poor in America, constant in terms of living in concentrated poverty in America, is it harder to live in concentrated poverty poverty if you are black versus if you are white? Because a big part of Hillbilly Elegy was Vance writing about what he knew, which was his family, and they are all white, talking about living in concentrated poverty. So in answer to the question of whether or not it's harder to be black and poor than being white and poor in 2017, mind you. Vance basically said that, you know, if you consider, like, the lasting effects of uh, housing discrimination, for example, in the 50s and 60s, uh, against black Americans, he would say emphatically, yes, it is harder to be poor and black in America than it is to be poor and white in America. Which I'm willing to bet he wouldn't say in 2021. You know, (laughs) which tells me that I like if I, you know, and the central question of a lot of our subjects is, are they mostly like, you know, uh, do they believe what they're saying or are they just grifters? Mm -hmm. I believe that when push comes to shove, Vance is mostly a grifter. I think Vance worked his way out of poverty, achieved, quote unquote, the American dream. You know, I mean, it doesn't hurt that he is a Christian, cis, male, hetero, white man. Um, and he will do whatever it takes to get power because he already has money. So now he wants mm-hmm. power. That's that's my take. I don't think he's really a true believer. I think he's a fucking con man. That's that's my take. But but Jay, based on on this limited sample of JD Vance, what, what what's your take? Like, if you if you had to gauge more grifter or true believer, uh, I'm with you 100. percent He he's a grifter, um, and we knew that in the first five minutes today when he talked about changing his mind. <laughs> Not a Donald Trump one. No, he realized that he could capitalize, and he's trying to do just that. Um, and that's why. To me, at least the true believers like try to flush out their ideas and he he wasn't flushing out any of his ideas. Like you said, you were cherry picking from his speech, but he wasn't flushing out his his main points. He was just kind of saying keywords and then saying things he knew that would get the crowd riled up. Which by the way, I'd like to particularly note how excited they got when he mentioned I don't know, demons or <laughs> So, yeah, yeah, so whatever, it's, 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 it's satanic. When he made it about a religion, yeah, yeah, satanic. yeah, 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 yeah. So we got those Christian nationalism notes there, mm-hmm. so that's nice too. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but so th- that comes to our episode. But just to tease what's coming next week, Jay, um, what if I told you that Vance wasn't the craziest person in the GOP primary? 
I mean, I readily believe you. <laughs> like, he he he's relatively tame. Even the, some of the people we've talked about just in the past few weeks. I, right, the fact that J- that that JD Vance is considered relatively tame <laughs> is, I mean that 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 just talks. I mean that that says all you need to say about American political discord discourse. Mm-hmm. But you remember how I told you that he is actually running a distant second right now. Mm-hmm. So there's another guy. His name is Josh Mandel. And Josh He's not Mandel, related to Howie? No. <laughs> he he served uh um he's been in public office for a while, I think since at least 2011. Um also a veteran just like um just like Vance. Um but I, and this is the most charitable version of it. I'm pretty sure he's fucking crazy. So so he's like prob- legit sick in the head. Um, maybe. So you know how we 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 pretty much agreed that Vance is a grifter. Mm-hmm. I think Mandel's a true believer, mm. and he's currently got the lead. And he hopefully is who we are going to talk about next week, um, because this guy legitimately frightens me. Because uh, he I love might me win. Some true believers. <laughs> With that, uh, I think we are going to head out for tonight. Um, let's see. Do, Jay, any final thoughts uh, on J.D. Vance before we uh, we get out of here? Uh, not really today. Like this guy, like you said, he's a very obvious grifter. So uh, there's nothing to even break down <laughs> about anything he said because yeah. this guy is just looking – to get more money and maybe more power, like you said, so he can get more money. Um, but I, I don't want to say I'm not worried about the likes of JD Vance, but uh, I feel like I feel like there's bigger fish to fry. Oh um, yes, and we just need to we just need to keep people like him in in the in in our rearview mirror. Make For sure, sure that he stays behind us. For sure. For sure. Well, all right. With that, uh, I think it's that's about as well said as we can say it. I got nothing to add. Um, so we're going to get out of here uh, to everybody. Keep your heads up. Uh, try to do something nice for someone in your community. Maybe donate to a local charity. And uh, we will join you next week, hopefully, with a look at somebody even crazier than, uh, than J.D. Vance. <laughs> See you then. Before we head all the way out, Matt, I'd like to say that I actually went and did it. Uh, I created a Twitter account that says Stop Talking JV. Fuck yeah! (laughs) Was it it again? One more time. One more time. Stop Talking JV. That's J-A-Y, the letter V. Hell yeah. Now we're talking. We're we're, we're on our way. The dozens and dozens (laughs) of fans of this podcast will be very happy. So follow Uh, Jay. I think I can get us to 50. Fuck yeah. Yeah, yeah. We, we are small but powerful. All right, everyone. Till next time. We'll see you then. Later. Alrighty.